For centuries, even prior to the Civil War, Black-owned farms have played a key role in how Black Americans have forged their own identities, independence, wealth, and well-being amidst systems designed to represent them. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Today, we are joined by John Jamerson, Operations Director at Legacy Taste of the Garden, to talk about the challenges and opportunity facing Black farmers in the past, present, and future. We're also joined by his son, DeAnthony Jamerson. John and DeAnthony, thank you for joining us on Green Sense. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Legacy is a family farm, and it was created to pass on generational knowledge of sustainable and entrepreneurial living to bring back the knowledge of growing and using fresh produce. How long has the farm been in the family? Well, this part of the farm has been in the family for just over 20 years. Uh, However, my father-in-law, Norman Greer, is featured in the Smithsonian African American Museum of History and Culture as the last or one of the last remaining African American farmers who's still farming family-owned land that they own pre-Civil War. And who is the champion behind this sustainable approach to farming? Uh, that would be my, my son, DeAnthony. He's the one who, uh, uh, after years of, of being told that he uh, would be a good farmer, finally uh, began to, to give in. And I'll let him share on, on his thoughts on that. Um, I mean, I guess you could say it, it would be like the next generation as far as my generation. Uh, but I would say more or less uh, probably the spirit of Lyle Station. I believe like it's been a passed down uh, educational uh, as far as family history, uh, generational uh, land and things like that to where I feel like it's part of the community that I basically grew up in. I see um, just the families passing down information and uh, skills that, uh, like I said, I picked up on and other in my generation have as well and basically taking it from there. So DeAnthony, what do you do that makes the farm sustainable and different than other field farms? Uh, so I guess in, in the lane that we're in, we're just doing uh, horticulture, uh, more or less uh, fresh produce. Do you use pesticides? Are you pesticide free? No, we don't use, we're all natural. Uh, we don't use any chemicals or uh if we do use any fertilizer, it would be like more natural fertilizers, but really no pesticides. And if we do use a pesticide, it would be more natural. Like we use like cayenne pepper and certain things like that to kind of deter a pest away. How big is the farm and what kind of crops do you grow? Uh, so we're working on about three acres. Um, we grow a variety of different uh, vegetable crops as far as from tomatoes, uh, zucchini, squash, peppers, variety of peppers, uh, cucumbers, greens, okra, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's a pretty big uh, variety. Uh, You talked a little bit about generational knowledge. What generational knowledge has been passed down to you? Um, I would definitely say just even in the aspect of gardening, um, really uh, the things that I've learned uh, about how to garden and just little tips and things like that. 
have been passed down from not just like my grandfather, but like I said, the old elderly in the community uh, where I was raised at here in Laos Station. Farming has changed a lot in the last hundred years. How do you balance using uh, that past knowledge with present technology to get efficiency and having less impact on the earth? Uh, so that's a great thing about agriculture. Uh, I believe is one of the leading industries as far as uh, advancing in technology. Um, they're always finding new ways to basically make the job easier. Uh, but at the same time, um, the past also uh, plays an intricate part on how to be successful in farming. That makes sense. Yes, there is a lot of technology. I think Silicon Valley met agriculture, and we've seen a flush of technologies hit the agriculture market in the last 10 years. Plus, there's been a big surge of investment with ag tech funding uh, coming into it. And one of the issues I've seen out there is farmer fatigue. Farmers uh, uh, have a tough time, you know, making their farms profitable and they don't have the time to evaluate all these technologies. Uh, how do you handle that? Um, really for me, I, I, I'm open to learning to new things. So I, I, I try to, and I don't put myself in front of everything, but, uh, I try to basically keep myself abreast on things that are in my field, um, just new techniques, new things, like I said, to make the job easier. Field farming is very tough business. For anyone who's never worked on a farm, they have no idea how much risk there is involved with farming. You have evasive species, you have weather, and right now with climate change, the weather changes very, very much uh, day to day. You have pests, you have market fluctuations, you have irrigation issues, soil, supply chain, labor. It goes on and on and on. In the past, what additional challenge to all those that I mentioned have black farmers had to endure in addition to those risks that I just mentioned? I'll step in on that. One of, one of the major uh, risks that the uh, black farmers have had to endure uh, was being in a sense, once again, segregated out of the system. Uh, there's no part of the system that, you know, the black farmers control, even in their farming and gardening. Uh, we have farmers here that will tell you that they would send their uh, white farm hands to go to the elevators and stuff to turn in their uh, crops because they get a better uh, yield. They can have one driver right after the other coming out of the same field. If it's a, a, a black driver, he gets docked due to moisture or dirt and things like that a lot more than what the uh, the, the white farmer or the white uh, driver who just came out of the same field has, has done. Um, and so in this, it, you know, and then, you know, we understand that there's a history of uh, issues that have taken place with the USDA. Embellish upon that, John. What kind of histories? Uh, what kind of history has the USDA had with black farmers? Well, it hasn't been positive. With the uh, Pickford uh, case that came out in uh, 1995, uh, it was determined at that time uh, that there had been a uh, rash amount of discrimination with the uh, African American farmers and the USDA. Uh, where they weren't getting their uh, loans on time, 
they were uh, weren't given they were given harsher and stricter um, payment uh, arrangements where, it, for example, they could have gotten a uh, seven year payment. Theirs would be due within a year, things of that nature. And, and then when uh, issues happen, such as you said, dealing with the rain, the sun, the drought, pest or whatever, uh, they weren't given an, those opportunities to to uh, refinance. And so they lost a lot of land. My father-in-law himself lost over 150 acres and he wasn't even uh, granted anything in the Pickford Act. So that's in the past. Are those st- things still happening now? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, to be truthful, they are. And that's part of the reason why part of the work that we're doing uh, with the uh, uh, life project that we're a part of with the Indiana Black Loan uh, workshops that we're doing, we're, we're not just pointing a finger and saying, hey, this is what's going on. This is wrong. We're trying to resolve those situations. We're trying to bring the resources to the farmers and bring the farmers to the resources. John, the world's a very complex place, but if you had a magic wand and you could do one thing that would make this issue better, what would that be? Um, I, I, the one thing that I, I would say that would make the issue better, uh, I, I give it to you in, in, in a, uh, a metaphor, so to speak. It's, it's like playing chess against a chess master, and he has all his pieces, and the only thing that you have is a king and a pawn. Um, so if, if we were to make it better, then we'd have to have the same pieces on each side. So everything that is that that they have the infrastructure, the legislation, uh, the uh, uh, the warehouses, the stores, and everything else that is on the other side. That's what we would need on our side, and we would have to have a voice. Well, America is made up of underdogs, and. Uh... Americans always want the underdog to win. And I believe that every challenge presents an opportunity. So what opportunities have black farmers been able to realize uh, understanding their disadvantaged situation? Well, and, and that's what we were pointing out to the, uh, the life project that we're doing uh, where we have, uh, we, we, we bring out, we uh, introduce, we, initiate and we try to increase participation with uh, African-American underserved uh, farmers with the USDA, with their programs, their grants, their loans and scholarships. Uh, With the Indiana Black Loan, uh, we even take it a step further to where we're not just coming out and telling these individuals about it, but we're actually going into their community. We're bringing out those actual agents with the USDA and we're having the USDA agents be able to build a relationship with their local constituents in their community. Well, one way to succeed out there is do something better than anybody else can do at a competitive price. Are there crops or specialty items that you grow that people want and have a high desire or demand for? Uh, well, everything we touch, everybody loves. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that De'Anthony did, ha, didn't share is that we actually go into uh, the different cities across the state 
in Evansville, Indianapolis, Bloomington, Fort Wayne, Gary, uh, that have uh, what is called food deserts in those communities. And so we bring out the, uh, uh, the produce and stuff that we grow. Uh, also, we, we partner with other farmers around here and other uh, farmers across the state. Um, and we actually bring them to those communities. We actually go out and teach them uh, about nutrition. We teach them about cooking because we have a generation or so now that has been into fast food or uh, if they do have food, it's called hot Cheetos. So they don't even cook it at all. So, um, but the, you know, and so those are the things that we do to try to help in that matter. Well, farming's become very high tech and it requires both proficiency in business and agriculture. And you talked about education and getting out there uh, to, to educate the community. Are there colleges that cater to black farmers to educate them on the current state of the practice when it comes to agriculture? Well, I'll turn that over to my son. He just graduated from Tennessee State in agriculture last November. So go ahead. Uh, yeah. So jumping on top of that, there's uh, plenty of uh, land grant uh, 1890 schools that are basically advocating and producing uh, young black um, producers, um, agricultural majors that are out in the ag industry today. So, um, yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, what about Naraville Farming Technologies? Uh, I myself am a, uh, a pioneer in indoor ag. Uh, we built one of the first uh, vertical farms here in Northwest Indiana. And, you know, greenhouses, vertical farms seem to be very hot these days. Are you promoting these sustainable ways of growing uh, year round on your farm? Or have you looked at these to incorporate in your business? Uh, yes, most definitely. Uh, we definitely promote um, all those sustainable grow practices uh, for urban um, growers, people that are in um, urban areas inside the inner city. Um, and we also use those practices as well. We try to have uh, several different grow practices. So when we do have people come visit our site and farm, we can show them uh, different ways to basically produce their, their vegetables or their fruits. Is there anything you'd like to add in closing? Uh, well, one, I, I, I'd just like to say it's, it's an honor to be here, and I thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity to, uh, to expound and share on this. Um, we are having an Indiana Black Loan uh, Conference in Indianapolis on May the 13th and 14th at the Madam uh, Walker Legacy Center on Indiana Avenue, and that's May 13th and 14th. Uh, and we're also going to have a life project conference in uh, Nashville at the uh, uh, Tennessee State University. Uh, we'll be working with uh, uh, AgriAbility out of Purdue Extension, as well as farmers from across the nation. Uh, and that will be June 8th and 9th. But we can't change the past, but we can make a bright future. Uh, thank you for letting me tell your story and helping to get the word out on all the good things you and your son are doing. Thank you. Thank you. That's John and DeAnthony Jamerson with the Legacy Taste of the Garden Farm. I'm Robert Colangelo. This is Green Sense. 
Visit greensensefarms.com to learn more about the show or to download a podcast. And listen to the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago. And a big thanks goes to producer Mike Sanders and Julia Shu, Dana Daywood, social media manager and executive assistant, Angela Surdy. This show is produced by Green Sense Farms Holding, all rights reserved.